Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 135, verses 1 through 3. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the name of the Lord, praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. Turn now to the New Testament as we continue reading God's word. Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul's letter to Philemon. In the next few months before Advent, I hope to preach about five sermons from this letter. I pray that as we spend time in this letter, it will give us a renewed appreciation for this letter, but also deepen our relationships with one another as the body of Christ. Let us hear the word of God. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers 
I shall be given unto you. There salute thee Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Beloved, this morning I want to begin a short series on a short book, a short letter, a letter to Philemon. Maybe you ask, well, why a series on Philemon? Several reasons. First, there is the practical effect of Philemon being a short letter, and between now and Advent, in the preaching schedule, it fits very nicely in a series of five sermons. So there's that, but there's, there's other reasons, important reasons. Philemon is an overlooked book because it is so short and seemingly insignificant in its doctrinal contributions. Philemon is not Romans. Philemon is not Ephesians and it's not Corinthians and it's not the other letters. It's a unique letter because of its brevity, because of its practical nature. We could say it's doctrine or the gospel worked out in real life. The gospel worked out in the midst of the challenges and difficulties of human relationships within the body of Christ. And so, though it's not specifically doctrinally oriented in terms of building a system or a theology of doctrine, it's very practical for how the the gospel impacts our relationships within the church today. And so, it has much to say to us as a church family, particularly as we start reflecting and implementing the small groups within the church family. Fourthly, it addresses the impact of the gospel on social institutions. It addresses the impact of the gospel on social institutions particularly on slavery in the Roman world, and therefore it has much to say to us today in a racially charged world. What does the gospel have to say to us in our contemporary context? How do we think through complex social issues through the lens of the gospel? Well, Paul will help us do just that in this short letter. It teaches us how to speak with each other in the church from the perspective of the gospel, how to view each other, how to relate to each other, how to be vulnerable and ask for things from each other from a gospel perspective. We'll see and learn how to do that as Paul models that for us in this letter. It teaches us how to receive those who have wronged us teaches us how to to grant and extend forgiveness in Christ. It deepens our relationships in a world that no longer values deep relationships but lives them on a surface level. And so there's much to learn 
from this short letter. And I pray that as we dig in in the next five sermons, that God will bless this short letter to us. Make it more prominent in our thinking, but also more prominent in our living. This letter to Philemon was written by Paul, and he includes Timothy in its authorship, though it was likely from the hand of Paul alone. He wrote it around the year 60 to 62 AD, accompanied the letter to the church in Colossae, the letter of the Colossians. This is where Philemon lived. The main theme, as you can already pick up from the introduction, is brotherly love and forgiveness in Christ. And as Paul begins his letter, as he, as he seeks to address a very delicate issue between Philemon and Onesimus, a runaway slave, Paul gives us a a beautiful example of how to address a brother in Christ, how to get something done in terms of reconciliation, in terms of rebuilding and restoring relationships, addressing delicate matters of ownership and forgiveness. And so our theme this morning is this, beginning a delicate letter. Paul really gives us a a model here of how to not only write a letter, but how to relate to others within the body of Christ. Begins this letter with the rhetoric of the gospel, with the rhetoric of the gospel. And so Paul is seeking to mend this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. As he writes this letter, it's grounded in the truths of the gospel as they've worked out between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. It's designed to appeal to Philemon to not to force him, but to motivate him based on the gospel to receive Onesimus back as a brother and to forgive him. And so Paul identifies himself as the author of the letter. It begins with rhetoric that takes the lower place. That's consistent with the gospel, isn't it, if we think of who Christ is? As Paul writes to the Philippians, how did he he write to them about Christ? Christ humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He emptied himself of his his glory, and he he came into this world, and he, he came to serve. And how does Paul refer to himself at the opening of this letter? He writes, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He doesn't refer to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ as he does on other occasions. He doesn't refer to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ as he does on yet other occasions. He refers to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's unique to Philemon. And why does he do this? We see Paul is not trying to exert his authority as an apostle in making this request of Philemon. He could have done that. He could have said to Philemon, Philemon, I am Paul the apostle. Now you better reconcile with Onesimus. You better receive him back as a brother. No, he says a prisoner. 
I'm a prisoner. He's not seeking to persuade as a servant. Notice how he addresses Philemon, a fellow laborer. He could have said, Paul, a fellow laborer in the gospel. No, he says, a prisoner. This designation that Paul takes to himself would have done several things to persuade Philemon, to motivate him to receive Onesimus back. First, it emphasizes that Paul is applying the gospel principle of becoming all things to all men so that he might win some. He's, he's actually identifying with Onesimus. Onesimus, he says, in verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Onesimus had visited him in prison. That's where they met. That's where Onesimus was, was brought to life in Jesus Christ, to the ministry of Paul. Paul is identifying with Onesimus on the one hand, but he's also becoming all things to all men. He's, he's, he's coming in low, as it were, as he writes to, to Philemon, saying, I'm a prisoner here. I'm not standing above you now as, a, as, an, as an apostle. I'm not standing equal with you now, but I'm making this appeal from underneath. I'm, I'm a prisoner, Philemon. I'm appealing to you from prison. He became all things to all men so that he might win some, so that both of them might be a partaker of the gospel. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 22 and 23. This is the principle that he's applying here as he's beginning his delicate letter to Philemon. Paul reminded Philemon also of where he was and the sacrifice that he was making for Jesus Christ. He's there for the sake of the gospel. He wants this imprisonment to fall out for the furtherance of the gospel in Philemon's life and Onesimus's life. And so he will gladly identify as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He issues a plea from prison, a plea for a brother whom he has begotten in prison in the Lord. He comes in low so that he can appeal to Philemon. This is gospel rhetoric, isn't it? The mind of Christ, as Paul writes, he humbles himself so that he can make this appeal. Is this how we approach those within the body of Christ? As we seek to reconcile relationships, do we, do we come in low with this, with this gospel rhetoric so that we can win another person round to Christ? So we can bring reconciliation within relationships with the mind and the example of Christ as Paul models for us here. Paul also includes Timothy in his greeting as a fellow author. Well, why Timothy? Philemon is a private letter accompanying the more public letter to the church of the Colossians. Why does Paul include Timothy? Well, the letter to Philemon likely accompanied the letter of Colossians to the church in Colossae. So Paul is just being consistent in both letters, including Timothy as the author Colossians 1.1, Paul refers to Timothy as a brother, highlighting the bonds of fellowship they share in the gospel. 
Timothy, Paul's young protege, is familiar with the church in Colossae. He'd likely gone there with Paul and engaged in the work, so he's familiar to them. So Paul includes him in the opening statement here. And so both of these men, the apostle and his protege, are pleading on behalf of Onesimus. But there's something else operating here. The Apostle Paul would have been familiar with the Old Testament law where the truth of a matter was established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Timothy was with Paul as he penned this letter. Timothy would have seen Onesimus. He would have witnessed the change in Onesimus. And so Paul includes him in this letter so that there's two witnesses that can vouch for the work of God in the life and heart of Onesimus. He is a changed man. That's part of the appeal that Paul is making on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon. And so Paul drops Timothy's name, as it were, to add extra emphasis to what he's about to ask for Onesimus. And Paul teaches us how to approach delicate situations in the Christian life with gospel rhetoric. Sometimes it requires the authority of an apostle. Sometimes it requires the humility of a servant of Christ. Other times it requires the lowliness of a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But this name serves to remind Philemon that Paul was not in prison for any particular crime, but for the sake of Christ. He was following in the footsteps of his master. Therefore, Philemon would have to take note of what Paul is requesting here. Paul's not standing above him. He's, he's coming below. Paul's prisoner status and the name of Timothy would have lent weight and gravitas to his request. Perhaps more so than the title of apostle or servant would have done in this instance. Paul became all things to all men. It was a gospel art that he had learned a gospel art to motivate to gospel action. A gospel art to motivate to gospel action. But then Paul continues to employ gospel rhetoric further in how he addresses fellow believers. Notice how he addresses Philemon our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Philemon's the primary recipient of this letter that Paul writes. He was the owner of Onesimus, the slave who had fled his household, perhaps stealing something along the way. Philemon was primarily responsible for Onesimus's welfare. He was the leader of the church in Colossae because the church met in his house, as we read in verse 2. Philemon was a man known for his faith in action, in actions of love and hospitality and care for the saints at Colossae and abroad. He's dearly beloved, Paul says. It speaks to the close bonds that had formed in Christ. He's a fellow worker in the gospel. There's a a warmth here as Paul is addressing Philemon. You are my brother. You are my fellow laborer. Paul appeals to his relationship, not just with Philemon, 
Not just on a human level, but a gospel relationship that is very deep and very grounded in who Christ is and what He's done in their lives and also their, their mutual work in the kingdom of Christ. There is much more that tied Paul and Philemon together than just the fact that they knew each other. Paul addresses Aphia in a similar way. It's thought that Aphia is Philemon's wife and thus the one who managed the household. She was a stakeholder in the return and reception of Onesimus as well. He addresses her as our beloved Aphia or, or sister Aphia. Here too, Paul recognizes the spiritual intimacy of relationship that exists in Christ Jesus. He appeals to that relationship. As he addresses these believers, Philemon's household, he includes her as one of the addressees. Is it maybe because Aphia would have sway with Philemon like wives usually do? Perhaps that's some of Paul's reasoning. But by drawing her in, the stakes are higher for Philemon to, to receive and welcome Onesimus back into the household. So Paul is making his appeal for Onesimus based on this gospel relationship that he has with Philemon and Aphia and now also Archippus. He's mentioned in Colossians 4.17 where Paul encourages him to fulfill his, his ministry. Perhaps he was discouraged and Paul had to encourage him in that letter, but now he says he's a, he's a fellow soldier. In the ministry, they've engaged in spiritual warfare. They too have experienced this bond of fellowship in Christ because of the saving work of Christ, but also in their work together in engaging in battle for Christ under their captain, Christ. Paul drenches his opening with gospel warmth and love for Philemon, for Aphia, for Archippus, and for the church that meets in Philemon's home. The letter is personal, but just because it's personal doesn't mean it's a merely private letter. Paul also greets the church, likely intending for this letter to be read by Philemon in the church, in his home. Why does he include the church in a request that he's going to make to Philemon? Because the church in Philemon's home is impacted by what Onesimus has done and by including Aphia, Archippus, in the church. Paul hopes to secure his request, not by shaming Philemon to do so, but by seeking a collective response from the church there. We need to understand that the New Testament mindset, if we, if we go back to the book of Acts and we remember there what happened when, when people turned to the Lord, when Gentiles turned to the Lord, what happened? They were baptized and their households. The entire household came to, to serve the Lord. So what happened with Onesimus affected the entire household, affected the entire church that met in Philemon's house. Paul addresses the doctrine of the church in the opening of this letter, showing how the church functions together, even when it deals with a runaway slave. When one member suffers, 
or needs to be corrected or needs, re- needs forgiveness and needs to be received back into fellowship. There's not just one person involved. The entire church is affected and needs to be involved in this work. So as Paul is, is laying the foundation for his request, he's doing so with, with this rhetoric of the gospel, binding believers together in Christ Jesus, showing the bonds that exist within the church. He calls us this morning to exercise love towards each other in receiving each other, forgiving one another, that what happens within the body affects the entire body. That we're not lone rangers, we're not living in isolation from one another as much as as Satan loves to isolate the sheep from one another and, and, and cut them off from one another. If we profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are bound together in Him. That's what Paul is showing here. It's not just those who are bound together who minister to you. It's not just the elders and deacons who are bound together. No, we are an entire body tied together in fellowship, in the the bonds of the gospel because of the work of Christ. This gospel rhetoric that Paul uses doesn't just address believers with warmth and grace. doesn't just come in low to, to make a request that is difficult and delicate. No, it appeals to faith and love. We'll treat this briefly here because we'll consider it more in our third point this morning. But gospel rhetoric appeals to faith the faith and love of Philemon in order to receive Onesimus back. The reputation of Philemon's love and faith is well known, and as Paul writes this letter to receive back a runaway slave as a brother, he appeals to that well-known faith and love. He appeals to the reputation of Philemon. He doesn't say, Philemon, you have to receive Onesimus back because I tell you to. No, Paul's very careful. He's saying, he's saying, Philemon, I've, I've observed these fruits of saving faith in your life. I've observed the, the fruit of love and of faith. Will you not receive Onesimus back as a brother? Paul goes deep, doesn't he? He's not twisting Philemon's arm. He's addressing him in the the bonds of the gospel. He's addressing him now from the perspective of the fruits of the gospel that have worked out in Philemon's life. In verse 5, he says that the love and faith that Philemon has shown has been shown to, to all saints. That faith and love that was so deeply exercised and rooted through the work of Christ in Philemon's life must now be exercised and evident towards Onesimus, Paul is saying. So it's not a mere request that Paul makes of Philemon as a person. It's made out of the gospel work that is evident in Philemon's life. It's as if Paul is saying here, Philemon, the rubber hits the road here. Will you not show that same love that has been shown to you in the gospel? It has been worked out with such evidence in your life. Will that fruit also be exercised in the case of Onesimus? 
Christ has received you and forgiven you, will you not do the same for this runaway slave, for this this brother whom I've begotten in my bonds? And so with careful gospel rhetoric, Paul lays the foundation for what he's about to ask. Provides a model for us in how we relate to one another. Treating each other as brothers and sisters when we profess faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps there are tensions within the body long-standing, simmering tensions that need to be addressed. How do we address them? If both parties profess faith in Christ, your brothers and sisters, the gospel demands of us that we view each other as such. And if the gospel has worked fruit in our lives, the fruits of faith and of love, we are called to come in low, to come in low and to exercise those, those fruits of faith and love as well in the lives of other people, to receive them, to exercise forgiveness, to become all things to all men on the basis of a brotherhood in, in Christ and a mutual work in the kingdom of Christ and the work of Christ in us. So Paul, the Scriptures this morning calls us to a gospel standard in how we relate to each other. Not just in dealing with tensions, but in dealing with one another, just in how we relate to each other, loving each other, caring for each other, being vulnerable with each other, coming alongside each other? Are we willing to become all things to all men, to come in low so we can be together partakers of the gospel of Christ Jesus in all its practical ramifications? But as Paul begins this delicate letter, he he also comes with the greetings of grace. The greetings of grace. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In one sense, it's a standard Christian greeting that Paul gives to, to all the churches as he writes his letters. We began the service this morning with those words as well, God's greeting to us. That's how we need to understand this greeting of, of Philemon. Paul is standing, is writing here as an apostle. Though he calls himself a prisoner, he's still writing as an apostle. He's he's still writing as a servant of Christ. He's still, in a sense, standing between God and and Philemon. And so with apostolic authority, with ministerial authority, based on who Christ is and how Christ has called him to the ministry, Paul is able to give this greeting on behalf of God to Philemon. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to the richness of the grace and the peace of God that Paul wishes upon Philemon. That that Paul speaks upon Philemon from God himself. 
Paul ties together the Old Testament concept of peace or shalom together with the New Testament concept of grace. This grace that Paul speaks of is is literally undeserved favor towards the needy. Undeserved favor towards the needy. Towards needy sinners. Paul wishes this grace upon Philemon. Undeserved favor upon Philemon, upon Aphia, upon Archippus, upon the church in Philemon's house. They are needy. They need this grace in order to show undeserved favor to Onesimus. Then there's peace that Paul pronounces upon them. Peace that speaks to reconciliation and wholeness. Sinners who have been estranged by God have been received again through the cross, through Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, For he that is Christ is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, between Jew and Gentile, but between all believers in general. And so there's this vertical grace, there's this vertical peace that Paul speaks to Philemon and to his fellow laborers, to Aphia and Archippus and the church. It's a reminder of what Paul has received, a reminder of what Philemon has received from God. This is, after all, what binds believers together, isn't it? This grace and peace binds us, first of all, to God, and then horizontally it binds us together as a body. And so there's the vertical grace and peace that works itself out horizontally. But Paul speaks grace and peace upon Philemon. As he does so, he traces not just the nature of what this is, but the source of where this comes from. It comes from the Father and the Son. Together they are unified in giving this grace and peace. It's really a Trinitarian gospel greeting in which the Holy Spirit fades into the background as He works this grace and peace in the hearts of believers and then works it out in the lives of believers in a practical way. But Paul says it's from God our Father. It proceeds from the head of the family, doesn't it? He reveals His heart towards sinners, one of undeserved favor. One that seeks reconciliation with himself through the blood of the Son. So here we have already at the very forefront of the letter, the gospel. Grace and peace from God our Father. The intent of God towards sinners is one of grace. Undeserved favor towards the needy. speaks to the reality that God delights to give this grace and peace through His Son. It comes from God, our Father. Here's a word to those who are not in Christ. These words speak to you this morning that there is grace and peace in God the Father. He's coming after you this morning. 
saying, I'm willing to show you undeserved favor. I'm willing to be reconciled with you through Christ, who is the way to the Father. It speaks to believers again, doesn't it? Of where we need to be for grace and peace. Brings us to God our Father, to the head of the family. And cry out, Abba, Father. We need that grace and peace again. As sin has come in between us. We need that reconciliation again through the blood of Christ. That's what we're reminded of this morning in these words of of greeting. Loaded. Loaded with love. But it also comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Comes from the Son. The Father and the Son are united in granting this grace and peace because it's through the Son. Through His work on the cross that we can be received of God. It's through Christ that the Father shows undeserved favor towards needy sinners. It's through Christ that peace has come between us and God. A peace that is wholly outside of ourselves, worked by Christ. Reconciliation, bringing us together with God. A greeting that Paul uses to point Philemon to the source of life for himself. But also what he needs in this reconciliation with Onesimus. And it's not only what he needs, but it's what he has through the gospel. These are words of greeting, words of wishing. But it's also a statement of fact, isn't it, of what we have in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have this grace and peace. God comes to us and He speaks it to us every single service. Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. shows us where we can go for ourselves and our relationship with God, but it also shows us where we can gain the support that we need in our relationship with others and reconciliation and and living with one another as the body of Christ. This greeting forms a foundation for what Paul is about to ask from Philemon. The grace that was undeserved for Philemon, he's going to be asked to show to Onesimus. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Not just for the vertical relationship, but for the horizontal relationship within marriage and family, within work and church. The peace that brought reconciliation between Philemon and the Lord is what Philemon is going to have to show to Onesimus to reconcile and repair and renew the relationship. Indeed, to revamp their entire relationship. Not of master and slave, but as brothers in Christ. 
a total rethink of that relationship that they had together. This is the very foundation upon which believers show grace and peace horizontally. Beloved, we have this same greeting spoken to us again and again. Maybe we get used to it. Maybe we say, oh, that's just part of the service. Signals to us that the minister is about to begin. And we need to remember that this is God's greeting of grace, of undeserved favor to us as he calls us into his presence. This is the grace that God is willing to to show to us as we come and gather as sinners in His presence. It's this peace that He gives to us through the cross that He's willing to, to give to us again as He calls us to worship Him. It's a reminder to us of what we have in God so that we can show that grace and peace to others where the rubber hits the road for daily living, for Christian living. It's not just the words of the minister as he begins the service. It's gospel words from God himself by which he greets us just as Paul greets Philemon here with the same words. Serves to remind us that our only hope of peace and grace is found in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we can ever hope to show that grace and peace is to go back to the fountain of grace and peace and draw down what we need in the midst of our relationships with one another. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful words of greeting. It's not just Paul's greeting. It's not just your pastor's greeting on a Sunday morning. This is God's greeting which heaven has opened up for us to strengthen us, to renew us in our relationship with God and with one another. But Paul continues writing his letter with a request for growth. As Paul continues his opening, makes a request for the growth of Philemon. He continues to build his case for Philemon to receive and forgive Onesimus. And he casts it within the context of Christian growth. So the gospel is at stake in receiving Onesimus back, but it's also an opportunity for growth for Philemon. And Paul prays for Philemon. He reminds Philemon that he's praying for him. He says in verse 4 and 5, he says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. As Paul prays, he remembers Philemon. What is it that comes to mind as he remembers Philemon? His love and his faith. It's come back to Paul's ears that Philemon is one who, who demonstrates this love and faith towards all the saints. It's, it's trickled back to him. Maybe he heard from, from Onesimus. 
Maybe this caused such conviction in Onesimus' own heart that he had wronged Philemon, a man of love and faith, and he had run away and stolen things from Philemon. And now, as the gospel began to work in his life, he's convicted that he had sinned against this love and faith. But this is what stood out about Philemon. This is what provokes Paul's thanksgiving to God as he, as he prays. Notice how Paul does this. He doesn't focus on the flaws of Philemon. He doesn't say, Philemon, you're a weakling. Or you're the master. You just, just get it together and, 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 and receive Onesimus back into your household. Maybe you've been too hard on him. Maybe you should just just lower your expectations a little bit. No. He thinks about the good and the lovely and the honest and the things of good report. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. We heard about that last week, Sunday evening, didn't we? Paul focuses on the fruits of the saving work of God in Philemon's life, faith and love. He thanks God for these fruits and he forms his request for Philemon before the throne of grace. And the request is this. He wants Philemon's love and faith to grow in Christ. This is what lies at the heart of Paul's request. As Philemon receives Onesimus back, it's an opportunity for growth. What was already evident in Philemon's life, Paul desires for it to grow, to expand in connection with what Philemon has to do for Onesimus. Paul requests of God that Philemon's evident faith and love will be exercised. That which Paul had heard about, which Philemon was well known for, Paul is not content just to to hear about it. He wants to see it in action as as Philemon receives Onesimus back. He prays for the communication of Philemon's faith to become effectual in verse 6. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. It's a difficult verse translate and interpret. The basic idea is this, that Paul is praying for the sharing or the fellowship of Philemon's faith to become effectual to the acknowledging of every good thing that he already had received in Christ Jesus, namely faith and love. He has everything in Christ. He's called to acknowledge this by sharing these things with others. He encourages Philemon to continue showing faith and love. Paul doesn't just want to hear about it. He wants to see it in action. Beloved, that's what I pray for you. That the fruits that God has already worked in you would receive fuller expression yet. 
through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the grace and peace of the Father and the Son. That what is evident here in the body would expand and grow to the glory of Christ Jesus. That if there are rifts in relationships, that they would be mended with this grace and peace, with this love and faith. That where relationships are just beginning to grow, that they would grow even further and, and manifest even more of this faith and love. As pastors, we are grateful for the growth that we've seen over the years, but we're not content with that. We renew our prayers on your behalf. We thank God for what is evident here, but we pray for a fuller expression of what we have in Christ Jesus, for that to flower and grow and bear fruit so that others might see us and be drawn into this fellowship of love and faith. We might continue showing that love and faith that it might abound even more than what is already present. That which is present through the grace and peace of the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not self-produced, you see. But the fruits that the Spirit works, we pray that God would increase. It's our prayer that you would pray that for others as well. So that those that you know that have these fruits of faith and love and other fruits of the Spirit, that, that they would abound, that when you think of them in your prayers, you would not just think of the negative character traits that they have, of how crusty they are, of how, how difficult they are to get along with, of of how loose their tongue is and and all these other things, but that you would see the fruit of the Spirit at work in their lives and pray for that to abound and grow and multiply so that we might achieve spiritual maturity in Christ as a body, collectively, holistically. Paul grounds his request in the report of Philemon's love and faith that he had to all the saints. He says in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Paul has received joy and comfort as he heard of what Philemon was doing. As he heard of the fruits of faith and love being exercised and produced And bearing fruit in Philemon's life within the church. Philemon has addressed the deepest needs of other believers. The bowels of the saints. doesn't mean that the saints just had full stomachs when they came into Philemon's house. No, he refreshed their bowels. The bowels there means that the very seat of human emotion and feeling. We're going to see that word again in this short letter. It's there three times. 
Philemon has ministered to the the inner needs, to the heart and the soul of of believers, even as he's ministered to their physical needs, no doubt. But the very seat of their emotions has has been refreshed. Their bowels have been refreshed through the love of Philemon. It's now this love and faith that Paul will appeal to as he makes the case for Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother. This will be the test for Philemon. But Paul is certain that what has, brought him joy, what has brought him joy and consolation in the past will again be true. As Philemon will be asked to receive and forgive Onesimus. That his love and faith would grow. That his love and faith would be evident in the case of receiving Onesimus back. And what brought joy and consolation to, to Paul would increase as well, would be true in this particular case. Reminds me of the words of the Apostle John, how he said he had no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. Not just believing the truth, but walking in the truth, living out the truth of the gospel in their daily lives. There's no greater joy for a minister, for a father or a mother, for a grandparent to see their children, their grandchildren, for a mentor to see his mentee walking in the truth, living out the gospel in real life. Joy and consolation. To know that others are are doing these things. And so what does Paul's opening of this letter teach us? It teaches us to recognize those who are beloved for the sake of Christ. To recognize those who are beloved for the sake of Christ and to receive them and acknowledge them as such. To greet other believers and to receive other believers with the grace and peace that we have received from God. To let the vertical life with God flood the plane of the horizontal so that our faith and love will abound towards one another. As we come together to pray as family, as a church family, to recognize the fruit of the work of God in their lives and to pray for that to increase as we remember them before the Lord. To pray. To pray for the Lord to increase that fruit of His saving work in them so that Christ will be glorified in how we live with one another. Beloved, may these opening words of this short epistle lay the groundwork, lay the foundation for how we live with one another. May God help us to implement what we've heard by leaning on that grace and peace which He delights to give to the needy, to the estranged, to those who need reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. 
And we pray that it would bear fruit in the lives of thy people here. Lord, we recognize that the fruit that is here is a result of thy saving work, and we thank thee for it. We pray for it, Lord, to increase for the glory of Christ, who is our head, whose body we are. So, Lord, we confess that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to Thee and to one another, and so help us then to exercise that grace and peace that we've received. To bear greater faith and love towards all the saints. Confess, Lord, that we're so often selective in who we show that to and how we show it. But Lord, continue to break down barriers so that our lives will abound with that fruit. We pray, Lord, for those who are discouraged, perhaps because they don't see this fruit in their lives, or discouraged because they feel lonely. We pray that that will draw them in pray for those who are fruitless because they are not in Christ. We pray that thou will work in their lives to bring them into saving union with Christ. That they have all these things that we need to live rightly before thee and with others. Go with us, Lord, in the rest of this day. Bless the instruction that our children receive. The catechism class, confession of faith, family living, Lord, be near to us now. Bless our fellowship once more around thy word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.